Welcome to Greater Direction. This podcast was created to celebrate the courage it takes to become an entrepreneur. And we discover how working artists and creatives are making their way. As entrepreneurs, many of us had the desire, but not the roadmap. Creative Direction is meant to explore the diverse voices and approaches to working and making a living. It is our hope that this podcast helps provide some insights that might aid you on your own creative journey. I'm excited to welcome my co-host for this episode, Elijah Teague. He is also our producer and editor for Creative Direction. Welcome to Creative Direction. Well, welcome to another edition of Creative Direction with Ross Floyd. And uh, tonight we have something very special in store. And it's that we're turning the camera on Ross and uh, Elijah and myself, Russell, are going to uh, to really uh, hand hand Ross the whole uh, the whole list, all the tough questions. Yes, sir. You're going to give me the medicine? Is that what's happening <laughs> yeah. right now? Watch, watch you sizzle. <laughs> so um, hopefully, I survive, or it's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, we should start off just by kind of doing what we usually ask our typical guests uh can you just sort of talk about how you started uh as a photographer as a creative um and kind of some of the early factors that led to your current creative endeavors yeah i will i um that's a good question and actually i thought about it a lot because we've had to ask everyone else that but yeah i started off i was always kind of like an artsy kid um i drew i was drawing all the time instead of doing my work <laughs> especially <laughs> i well, you guys can relate probably uh especially in, in math class math oh, yeah. was I could do math. I had the capacity to do it. It was just boring to me. And I didn't understand how it would have any application in my future, uh, which is a silly thing. But um, yeah, so I was doing art, or actually, if you want to go way back, I kind of failed band class in high school. Um, I played saxophone. How do you do that? Um, total diversion, but how do you fail saxophone? Well, when you're Ross Floyd and you don't have any rhythm, <laughs> um, and you don't practice as much as you should you know, there's, they, do, they do test you on certain skill sets and apparently I didn't have them uh, I didn't acquire them and I didn't work hard to make them so and I was uh, kind of eyeball in art class anyway mm. so I skipped over that and, and in, at the end of my senior year I think I was taking um, at least six hours of art classes a day I had a really oh, good so art your, your high school is pretty arts focused then yeah, I was really lucky. Um, it was all kind of happenstance, um, just by where I lived. And we had a really good program. Um, and I took like AP art and all that. I was a painter, actually. I did a lot of drawing, like really highly detailed, technical, mm. you know, still life, ink, pencil, You told paper. me about this before, but it's the yeah. transition. The interesting transition is the one away from other types of fine art towards photography. Yeah, I would, so I was a creepy kid in high school, and I did these really like intense, a lot of skeletons, a lot of skulls, and like a lot of figural portraiture and things like that. Um, a lot of allegorical things in oil paint, but I was taking photos uh, to make those paintings. And it was right when digital photography like was starting to become a thing. Um, did you have like a Sony Mavica, or did you have some? more advanced you, at this point. You totally got ahead of me. We had the Sony Amavica and it was, for, for, for those of you who remember, it was a two megapixel camera. Wow. And it had- Big floppy disk one. 
Yeah, you could like <laughs> well, I've never heard of memory cards. Oh man, you got to Google it later. It's amazing. <laughs> it's instead of memory cards, you had three and a quarter floppy disks. So they weren't this big floppy soft ones; they're the little ones. But um, we would walk around with, with like big, big bags that were specifically designed to carry floppy disks. And you'd take like three <laughs> pictures, and it wasn't fast. And then you'd change it out, and you'd shoot another three pictures, and you'd, oh my you'd put gosh. it back in. And then you'd you take that to your your PC, right? Because we didn't have Macs or anything. And um, put that in. Work on your. I think those were three megabytes. No one cares about this, but it's fine. yeah. They were. Uh, it was really small. I mean, yeah. but that was like you could actually make a picture. You could print it out. Yeah. There were other cameras that you could get that had like a little flash memory card in them, but it was like. A 900 kilobyte image you couldn't even yeah. print it out like wallet size <laughs> yeah and it was oh, they were hella, they were hella expensive it was like <laughs> sony sony had the market on that and it was like but i love that i love that kind of and you still shoot sony i i migrated away from sony and then yeah full circle went back and now i'm shooting sony that's i didn't think about that that's weird <laughs> i mean it, it is weird it is weird but like I think the important thing in, in that little, like whatever, or what's interesting, I'll ask you, like um, when I started, when I thought I was taking photography potentially seriously as like an unexplored thing, or also just like a way of making images to use for design and other you know types of work. Uh, I was like, well, a camera's yeah. really useful. I'll get to know it. And I bought film cameras because it was at like the waning days of that, but digital, you could get a Nikon D700 at the time. And that was very expensive and you still weren't going to get like more uh, of an image than you would from scanning a 35 millimeter piece of film, but the equipment was a lot more expensive. And so I like learned it that it way and then, and I'll right? tell you why. Yeah. And then it changed. Yeah. So I was, I took my first black and white darkroom class in high school, my senior year, but I was still bent on painting and doing all that stuff. Um, and then my freshman year of college, you had to go through this program and you had to like audition and it was like foundations. And I was already pretty advanced because I had a really good high school. Um, but everyone else had to either catch up or whatever. If you're in college and you'd never done art before, you could still be an art major. You just had to like go through this yeah. program too. It was like an equalizer to kind of figure out what you were good at and what you wanted to go into. And then you set up a portfolio and you auditioned in. And I got rejected from the painting program, <laughs> probably because I had photography in my portfolio already. Um, I was already kind of going that direction anyway. I love to tell it like I was a rebel. I was like, "F you, painters! I'm not going to do it." But, but like, <laughs> I was like, it was a little bit of that. But I was, uh, I was also just ready to do. I liked it, you know. I liked photography. I and I not having like a great background, I felt a more. It was more practical in the sense that you could get your ideas out faster. Um, I wasn't limited by technique so much but also like i knew i could always get a job which is like yeah. the midwest midwest to me uh, my big joke to my parents <laughs> was like oh don't worry about it i could always you know like get a job working at sears photo studio not to diminish that that job because it's probably really hard and i never want to do it but like they really 
really hated me when I said that. <laughs> like, the most, you know, it's Big Ten school. I went to U of I, like, spending all this money. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just work at Sears Photo Studio. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Oh, you meant, like, because cool. I thought you, I, for a second, I'm like, oh, yeah, I interviewed with Shock a long time ago, and they did a lot of photography, like, stuff for Sears. But you mean the no, portrait I, studio with yes, the kids. Yes, that was the thing I, like, twisted the <laughs> screw on my parents to be like, you know. And then eventually I asked my mom, I was like, hey, were you ever, like, worried about me, like, what I was going to do for a living after school? She's like, all the time, still worried about you. No, actually, <laughs> to the contrary, she said, no, I had no idea what you were going to do, but I, I knew you'd probably figure it out. And that was, yeah. like, one of the biggest compliments she ever gave me. And have I figured it out yet? I don't know. Time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> but, yeah, so I... I got into the photography program at U of I and I kind of didn't really look back. It was really a lot of fun for me. Um, and I worked for another photographer while I was in school. I was, I was in an entrepreneurialism in the arts class and I was like, I was like a 22 year old little shit. I was maybe not that nice, but nice enough. Um, but I had a little bit of an ego. Um, and I had printed business cards. Like I was just like a little college kid in school. <laughs> Um, and we, we went out to this guy's studio to have headshots for this entrepreneur. I'm going to screw up that word so much. Entrepreneurialism <laughs> class. I say it a lot, but I can't say it a lot. You know what I mean? It's a hard um, one. <laughs> yeah. Trips you up. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I was like, oh, man. I didn't really, I kind of, admittedly, he'll probably listen to this and laugh at this, but I didn't really know who he was. Um, but I was like, hey, you got a cool studio. I'd, I'd like anything like a commercial photographer I'd ever heard of in Champaign-Urbana. And I said, hey, do you want to, if you ever if you never need an assistant, I'd love to work for you. Here's my card. And I'm like, he, he took my card. And then I got a call a couple of weeks later and uh, we, I was gonna shoot with his assistant. She was shooting kind of smaller jobs for him at the time for the ASPCA, which is like, you know, animals. It's all the, you know, the- uh, Animal animals. rights. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not they, political. Don't get political with us. <laughs> No, dogs are great. That's that's as political as I get. Um, but um, I was late. I was running late, and that was like the cardinal rule: is like, don't be late as an assistant, or you'll never get hired again. And I had my little like Italian road bike at the time, and it had just rained the night before, so I'm like gunning it out the door. I've got like 15 minutes to get somewhere that takes 25 minutes to bike to, right? And the first turn out of my apartment, I slip. And my bike comes out <laughs> from underneath me and I break my arm. Oh but my gosh. I get back on that bike and I ride to the shoot. I don't <laughs> I don't say anything. This is not recommended, by the way. I would not recommend this at all. I don't say anything the whole day. And it's eight hours of just wrestling these dogs because it's With a broken shoot. arm. Of all the, yeah, of all, the, it was cracked. It wasn't like. The bone was sticking like, out. The dogs <laughs> were trying, they were nipping at the bone. Yeah. Still exactly. really bad. No, really I bad. mean, it hurt like the Dickens. We'll just yeah. say it that way. Um, but, and I really should not have done that. But it was a portrait shoot of all the office workers and their dogs. Because they can all bring the dogs to work because it's the ASPCA, right? Oddly, no cats, by the way. There weren't any cats on that shoot. But, um yeah, and then I got on my road bike and rode immediately to the emergency room. And mm -hmm. they didn't, <laughs> <On> your bike. <laughs> they didn't cast me. They they just they x-rayed it and like, yeah, it's broken. Here's some pills. Go on. 
Uh, so it wasn't that bad, but I, I wish know. I'd gotten the pills when I've broken bones before. I didn't know yeah. there was like a pills option. Like, I'm on my those. way to work right now. <laughs> Can I just have the pill? That was many, many years ago before they were a little more regulatory on the yeah. opiates, but <laughs> it was a good time. Um, and I didn't tell them until like two years later that that's what had happened. Well, you should use that as leverage right away. <laughs> no, I was like too embarrassed and I didn't want them to think I was like reckless. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, oh man, I can't believe you did that. But I traveled like the country with him. Um, you know, shooting advertising campaigns for like North Dakota tourism and uh, Sanibel Island and a bunch of other, you know, little and big jobs here and there. Car we shot for Carhartt. And I learned a ton from this one guy. And it was all because I had a little business card in the back of my pocket and just a little bit of like, you know, 22 year old, like, hey, hire me. No one else on that little trip uh, had a business card and no one else got hired. So it was good. And we're, we're still friends to this day. Yeah, he was a great, he's a great mentor. If I still have a problem that I know I can call him and he'll, um, you know, he'll walk me through it. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. So coming from a fine arts education, do you feel like uh, this guy, this mentor, was kind of the part that taught you the business side and kind of introduced you to that aspect of the creative world? Um, yeah, he, he taught me the client side of things. Mm -hmm. um, I I goofed up on a really big shoot, and I was I meant well. This is like this is the gracious, by the way. I mean, I I, I could say that he'd be finally mm -hmm. sharing this stuff, but I I was downloading cards for him because he did a lot of outdoor stuff, and I would sort of digital tech, which is like managing files on set or uh, in film they call it DIT. Um, and you, I was looking through them and checking them and make sure we had everything, and some of the files looked a little bit like like they had camera shake or blurry and he shoots a million things, right? He shoots like maybe 20,000 shots per thing. He's just rapid fire shooting. And I was yeah. like, Hey, Hey, check your lens. I like ran, ran up to him. I was like, Hey, check your lens. Make sure it's whatever. He's like, stop, come over here. And I said, this in front of the client. And he's like, if there's a problem, you need to say it to me quietly. You can't, <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> You know, you just, you need to know when that you should, when and where to speak to me about that thing. I appreciate yeah. you bringing it to my attention. We'll check it. It'll be fine. But I kind of have to put on a show now and stop the shoot so that, you know, they, they know that I am being diligent about this problem that you said really loud in front of them. <laughs> it's, it's an like interesting, it's, this is an interesting moment that you bring up because everyone yeah. has it at some point in their, in their career. And I, I do think that there's a certain thing like that when you are the junior in the yeah. situation, that there's like no right way that you could do it. You're right. going to get skewered yeah. by your boss because he's going to use that to save face in front yeah. of his client. Like by casting some blame on you, it's actually just drawing attention away from the fact that you are actually rendering a great service yeah. to both of them by like bringing this up and you don't pussyfoot around something that's as important as there being a smudge on a lens because right. you can see it in the exposures and right. but um, his, his to his point it was how you do that right and well, i wasn't he, there but yeah but I he trust was, you did it the right way actually i, I mean that's yeah i did not uh i didn't i i kind of embarrassed him which was not good well we should probably bleep his name <laughs> <laughs> yeah now now I'll do uh, <laughs> yeah uh I kind of embarrassed him in front of the client because now they're worried, right? And that's like, 
that's not a good thing. That's not a good position for your boss in. Um, oh, although well-intentioned, not appropriate, right? So like he, but he was nice about it. He could have like sent me home or like fired me or, you know, whatever, you know, like there is a point. I worked for other people that would have fired me for that, you know. Um, I think that's interesting though, like the integrity aspect of it, because I think someone with integrity will totally assume they're the blame for delivering the message the wrong way. But yeah. the person you work for should know implicitly from all your behavior that you're always, you know, behaving in that. I think that makes you an immeasurable asset because otherwise yeah. you could lose a day of oh. production. No one wants to be in a reshoot. Yeah. Well, and he, he appreciated it at the time, but you know, he also knew his equipment very well and knew when it was working right. So yeah. like, yeah, no, I get what you're saying, but it's, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted yeah. to defend you so badly. You know? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, you you learn, and then I never did that again. You know, there were problems that come up, but um, right. I learned to kind of do that. And I've actually had assistants do that to me, too, where they, they say something that's maybe inappropriate or a little too loud. I'm like, hey, chill that out a little bit. Tell me mm -hmm. that, like, over here. Don't, don't, you know, not everyone in the room needs to hear what you're saying to me right now. Um, and that's, that was, like, one of the, the, one of the better lessons out of that was, like, he was very calm like some people just lose their shit you know and that's like the thing you can only learn the hard way basically yeah and like he we had worked enough together at that point that he was invested you know he like wanted me to do well and he wanted me to do well so that he could do well and that's a relationship that i try and bring forward with everyone that i work with you know if mm -hmm. if my assistants are doing well if my if everyone's comfortable if everyone's happy um you know to the measure that i can provide that for them um, even if I am being critical, that if I'm calm and reasonable and rational, even in a pressure pressured situation, that's the best way I can serve them in their roles and the best way to get good results. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I learned from him. You know, he was always very calm no matter what was happening. So Ross, in, in a production scenario, mm -hmm. shoot day, as it were, What's the, most, what's the most outrageous request that you have had to oblige? I hate, um, this. I hate and, this question because they're all outrageous. <laughs> I mean, but there have to be a few that stand out above most others and you can anonymize them. I'm sure you will, but um, just the request itself. like I don't know if I would categorize them as outrageous, but I think one of the things I learned early on was figuring out scope and, and knowing why it has to be a certain way beforehand. Um, a lot of times I'll shoot really large libraries for, for clients to use and reassemble into cinema graphs or animations later. Um, and things like if you have 39 images and they want to add an, like 39 angles of 12 products, whatever, or 13 products, and, you wanna, and they want to add, oh, can we shoot this at another angle? Um, no, that's like 80 some odd images now. You can't, or 78 images. Like we didn't allot for that in the day, you know, let's find an angle that you really like that works for all scenarios and let's do it that <laughs> way, you know, or, or in any given alternative, or, you know, we're going to have to bill for overtime. If you have that in the budget, yeah, let's get you the angles you need, you know, or even like, yeah, we could do that, but it's going to add double the amount of angles and, um, you know, we are gonna to have to work it's gonna be very hard to do this by the end of the day 
like even that's like a reasonable thing. So like learning to negotiate those landmines because you've thought through the shoot and ahead of time and being able to manage that and understand those expectations and like this will work for everything. You're going to be great. You know, being able to figure that out and know that and and be calm when someone asks you something that feels daunting and be like, this is why we probably shouldn't do that. Like that's, I feel like that's a skill I've I've really acquired very well over the years. Um, you don't even have people coming to you asking you for no. like largely illegal things or things that are like. I look too innocent here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, nice Midwestern Ross. <laughs> yeah. I you know there's I've had some like people ask me to do some dangerous things before. I'm like ah, I think you need a permit for that. Yeah, like you know? fire indoors type of stuff. Like. Uh, you know. No, I've I've actually that's not an unreasonable request. I've had people <laughs> ask for that stuff too. Um, there was like one time I was bidding on a job and we didn't get it, and it involved like a big block of ice melting, and like flamethrowers, um, like melting the block of ice, and I forget why we didn't get. It, but I was like calling a guy. There's a guy here in Chicago. His name's Jeff. Is this in the lease terms of this rental? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I, I had to call I had to call the studio and be like, you guys do you guys do fire? You guys cool with fire? It's a big studio because we needed to put a car in there and stuff too. Um, and they're like, yeah, if you if you have a deposit of insurance, a lot of insurance, it's cool. Um, but I called the guy and I was like, what do you have in the terms of flamethrowers? He's like, well, <laughs> that's pretty fun. Let me tell you, uh, I have many. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was that was fun. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. There's there's actually union pyro guys if it's like a large union video job. And Absolutely. There's, there's two. There's actually two in Chicago. Two guys, or yeah, I think they're both guys. One of them has a, a apprentice. It's a woman. Um, but they work primarily on like Chicago Fire, mm. so they're always busy. So it's yeah. like always there. Sometimes we almost had to fly. If we had gotten it, we probably would have to fly a pyrotechnic in from. Like, oh my gosh yeah so i was actually gonna mention when you said the fire thing um they shot chicago fire on this block and they actually took someone's windows out and they put in fire yeah. jets and they rubbed the whole outside of the building with this special coating so that when the fire leaves its soot it's not the effects they really really do fire with physical wow, effects it's so crazy. surprising like they burn it yeah it's cool um i saw them do it uh by the office building that i used to work out of they did the same thing it was cool it was like a disaster out there and then it disappeared the next day with one con <laughs> i'm so glad they're union i do not want freelance fire guys on set it's the last thing you want oh yeah the fire guys are just like they know them that's still a very chicago thing though like yeah i know a guy my cousin He'll do it. Fine. <laughs> I got a gay. I mean, you get jobs that way, you know? It's it's crazy. Oh, yeah. But I think, yeah. of, you know, making a name for yourself as an exclusive family from uh, from getting involved. Oh, no. no for sure. You know. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. So, I guess, I don't know what we were talking about before that. Uh, but, yeah, besides your uh, photography, you also have clever, clever editing. Can you talk a bit about how you kind of transitioned your photography uh, career into this other side business? Oh, yeah, that, that goes hand in hand. with. So, like, I was um, working for the university after school. I had a job in IT, 
because uh, it was like the middle of the recession. So that was like a hard, hard thing. Um, but, you know, all my friends went to Chicago and I got this job working for the art school. I'm kind of redesigning mm -hmm. a lot of their digital print systems and things like that, which was frankly like a hobby of mine. Um, but I, I promise this is related, but I um, was like kind of ticked off. I went to like a meeting, a town hall meeting at the university and mm -hmm. I was like, our printing is terrible. And this guy came up afterwards and he's like, do you think you can figure it out? And I was 22 and I was like, yeah, I can figure it out. Like this thing that they'd worked on for years. Like, yeah, exactly. It's got me, it's got me pretty far. I had to evolve <laughs> past it, but, um, so I like, I put together this print thing and this, this, I did a little research and put together a proposal on the print lab they should build and should have and how it should be laid out. And it was server driven, could accommodate all photographers and designers. So it could do RGB and it could do spot process and spot color and things like that. And it was all automated. Um, so it was print on demand and integrated into their, it wasn't fully formed at that point, but it was pretty close, but it was integrated into their billing system. Um, and I presented him, I gave myself like a title and I like presented it to him and was like, this is what I think we should build. And he never expected to like hear back from me. He offered me like nine bucks an hour or something, which was like a lot back then to do this research. And then, you said you made a uh, gave title it. for yourself. I want to stop you on that. Was it something, because like we all like give ourselves a title at some point when we're self-employed. What was your, what was your made up it title? It was like print research specialist or something. <laughs> it was, it was high, it was highfalutin. Um, it's not as good as the title I eventually got because of that. So I left his office and thinking he would never do anything about it, but I got my check or whatever. You know, I like put my time hours in to get paid. So I was like, um and then he kind of called me he's like this is great i think we're gonna do it um i'll talk to you in a little bit but in the meantime do you want like a job for the summer so i was like okay i'll take a job for the summer because i had to finish out my apartment lease anyway at the end of the summer and i was like cleaning up their database so it was very practical like working in systems designing systems seeing how things worked doing a little it stuff and then he offered me a job at the end of the summer to build that print lab. So cool. Do a, do a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So I worked there and I worked, I managed a team of 30 people, which was big. Uh, I was all students. So like basically the worst employees you could have. No offense, Elijah. Uh, <laughs> they just don't want to be there. You know, they're just trying yeah. to pay for school and like, you know, they're, they're a summer know, job uh, or something. It's mm -hmm. work. What's it's not work for hire. What's that called? Student Wage slavery. <laughs> uh, pretty close yeah um it's some grant you get but you have to work at the school to get the oh money. yeah yeah it's like a job uh, i forgot what it's called yeah yeah it doesn't matter um but yeah that, it was all those workers so i had to like figure out how to motivate them which was kind of fun um but what that did was teach me how to design systems that, that work well um with very little human intervention um or invention at those points where you want it. So like that, that translates to my next job. I got a job working at an auction house photographing in Chicago. Um, and that took a long time to get into that job. I interviewed like five times, um, but we got there and they had, it's right auction house. And they had, they were doing like 3,500 images a year, fully retouched. And they, they um, were retouching everything in house. And me and, and one of the guys that was working on staff 
decided that it might be an interesting idea to like to outsource some of the clipping tasks, the actual cutting out of the objects to, you know, to someone else. Um, and we did that and we built a system around how that worked and how we would retouch that afterwards uh, and streamline the process. And they added a few more staff. But we, the long and short story of that is that we ended up without increasing staff other than the service that we used to clip the pass out, um, we increased the output of 3,500 images a year, fully retouched to 20,000. Um, and they went from 12 catalogs to 34 catalogs over a period of the period that I was there. Um, so we're talking about like a, uh, quite a few images yeah, <laughs> for, for, for two photographers, basically two staff retouchers, you know, like that's a lot of, a lot of work. Um, so I then took those principles and I um, am now using them to help entrepreneurs and other people like people that basically sell stuff online or sell product or um, need high end retouching of their photos um, to make them future proof to really like serve. One of the things is, that we do is we have the shadow. We use the original shadows for everything. Everything's retouched. Um, for that, that's one of the services we offer. I kind of, I branded it, I called it um, Silhouettes Plus, because the silhouette okay. is your silo. Um, because what that does is if, you, if you're given the image as an image where it, it has layers, so you have your shadow on a layer, you have your object on a layer, and then you have your background, you never really have to pay again to replace that layer if you have like minimal Photoshop skills or can set up an action, you can churn through all those images really fast. So if you have a design decision that changes your website, so like if your website's no longer a white background, 255 white, like most flipped out objects are, it's say it's a peach color or you're a mm -hmm. women's company and, and you have a, a gradient or something, you can then go in and change by using leveraging technology and computers to, uh, wow, I sound like a weird salesman, but you no, can, not, I've done this stuff too. Yeah. I had a, I had like a, a thing where I like automation completely. It's you can yeah. use the production hack to give yourself time back to be creative in, and I feel it's like that's just, the that's it's the just, leverage. It just hurts me when I hear all these stories of these like little shops and things like that that are just trying to get by and need a little help to take something off their plate, being like the retouching of these images, mm -hmm. um, and they just get screwed or they like don't really still have the time to communicate with vendors, whether they're overseas or even domestic and get what they want, you know? So like figuring out a way that I can streamline that and offer it to people at a reasonable price um, so that they can get back to what they actually like doing mm. just feels, feels really good to me. Um, and it, it, it makes sense to have a little bit of a steadier income that can kind of make money while I, while I sleep or, other people operate it sounds um, really malicious to make money while you sleep it sounds like other people should be sleeping and they're uh, not but no it's the time difference it's a time difference. it's a time difference it's a time difference okay so but, everyone's everyone's i mean it, it doesn't what i mean by that too is it doesn't necessarily need if i build that system right if i build the back end and the the intake system right um then I, it needs very little intervention for me, to, for people to get the value that they need, like right away, the services they need very quickly. Um, and I think that's the best way you serve people. You know, like I think that's 
how do you get them in, out, get, get where they need fast, and do a really good job doing it. Um, so I have, and then figure out how you can provide even more richer experience so they can compete even better. So if, if people opt into using that Silhouettes Plus thing, retouching in that certain way, then it opens the door to more complicated, more interesting things like animated GIFs and things like that, that I can also just send the files directly to a vendor and smart source it and be like, make a GIF of this. We've already retouched it. It's ready to go. Like, you don't need to do any of that non-specialized work. Just charge me for what it takes for you to do the specialized work so that I can provide more value at the, cl at the client level and create cool stuff and help people stand out. Right? So it's almost like this little first, you know, this like first thing where you like ran the 30 college interns in a way yeah. like introduced you to the, the notion of managing people at scale. Right. And in a way you said, you know, it's kind of like, well, how do you motivate these people? And for obviously the motivation is money, but it's a very competitive world when money is all you offer. So, it's kind of has to be like the way you work with people to some extent. But the part, part of it onto that. And that's know. exactly it. Because part of that was identifying the workers that actually gave a little bit more of a shit and had certain skills that they didn't mind doing. Like there was a lot of like peeling, this sounds really dumb, but there was a lot of peeling labels off stuff, you know, like, mm. um, cause we would change our labels or we, we would, um, you know, get, get five more cameras and you had to kind of change, how they were situated or you need to make new labels and tags for stuff. And that was stuff that I was doing. I was like, this is silly. What, what do I need to do to get incentivized these other students, these students to do this for me? And it turned out that there were like pay grades. You could offer them like a buck more an hour to do what we call like level two and level three stuff. And level two was like that stuff, the clerical stuff that, that needed a little bit more focus than just being a body and being a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then like level three was like training. So it was like two or three dollars more an hour, I think. And if I had someone train someone else, they were capable of doing that and we paid them that. And they were happy to do it because it was it, it was it's more it, interesting work. It killed the board boredom and then it was just right. enough money to be like, Okay, yeah, it's another beer at Murphy's on like Tuesday <laughs> night. You know, yeah, I'll I'll take it. You know, so um So you hire yeah. people in Chicago. For this? Yeah. For, yeah. Um, I hire people in Chicago, I hire people in Poland, I hire people in India. You know, it's, it just depends on what, how sophisticated that project is, right? Mm -hmm. Or what part it is. Um, and it's, so it's, it's really a global company. Um, and That's I'm, cool. I'm really proud of that. I think it's important to, um, I think the world is like a marketplace is really cool. I think that's, you know, and the people that I pay in India, we pay a little bit higher rate than most people do. There's always like a race to the bottom where I get these emails where people are like, we'll do it for 29 cents or we'll do it for whatever. And you're like, no, it's fine. Like, I have really good people who yeah. get an honest wage and they continue to provide a really great thing because, yeah. 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 I check in with my, my, the guy that manages this for me, um, for his, the main vendor there, he, he, he like, she chats me every day and like we talk every day like there's a good relationship awesome. there he's very happy with me like he's like send more work except for when i don't send work and he's like <laughs> send more work hey russ do you have any more work for me can you send work for the weekend please send me more projects I'm uh, like, all right all right all right all right i'll send you some yeah i'm sending you as it comes in it's cool <laughs> um 
so but you know and and like if if he's busy then he's happy right and then i can serve him you know he, he gets to do something that he's cultivated he has like a team of of a bunch of people that work for him um and he he loves being a provider he loves like um being able to give them work because then they're not, they're they're fulfilling a purpose and and doing something that they're very very good at um yeah and he ke he keeps evolving and offering more services and i feel like he and i are growing together which is another really important thing to me so that that's also just a really cool thing that feels good um and it you know i want to be conscious of that you know i want to make sure i'm paying people well um even if it is a different standard of living or a different you know bar than you know someone i would pay here um i i think a lot about making sure that that's ethical you know yeah um it's really hard. It's really hard to negotiate with him. He's like, name, name the price. It's fine. You know? And I'm like, uh, is this a good price? And I'll press him really hard. He's like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, really Vitala? Is this, is this it? And he's <laughs> like, you should probably come up a little more. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, is this it's a good a price? Kind of negotiation. <laughs> and then he's like, yes, that's a good price. Let's do it. And then we just send the files, you know? So it's, but we've worked together a long time to kind of figure that stuff out, you know? Um, so yeah, you got to find the happy price, right? Yeah. Because ultimately, if it's a long-term relationship, you know, it's you're never getting into you never get into a work relationship, and then find out that the pot is suddenly going to get richer. Like that's right. imaginary in right. a freelance world. Um, you have to command your price from this from the gate. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really cool that you kind of bring that understanding in respect to the partners that you that you work with it's really yeah. cool yeah and um people it's incentivized different ways people get faster if they're hourly they get faster at what they do because they're good practice you yeah. know um and then you have to kind of even that out somehow so like that's a discussion too um and you know i i have people all over the world that are working for that so it, it's really cool and it's cool when it works well because um we still charge relatively commercial rates, but they're they're cheaper, you know, or they're faster, or they give more access to people that wouldn't have access to that before, um, and that's important. It also just provides a lot of relief and pain points for people that, yeah. like, I I actually have a lot of consulting clients that we kind of plug into the clever editing website because they have an archive of images that they are creating on their own. I've set up a studio for them. I manage that workflow from beginning to end, and then they are really like really able to just do the most expensive part themselves and then send the most time laborious sensitive part. Uh, they send that to my team and then they have the rest of their time to do whatever they need to do, which is generally not taking photographs. <laughs> it's generally <laughs> like operating the business, creating that new widget, whatever it is, you know, and moving on with their lives. So. So if you have, I just have to ask you a really like specific tactical question, just because yeah. I'm curious. If you outsource retouching, do you have outsource also in that same location or somewhere else distributed? Someone who gives things an initial level of QA before you do your final QA to just kind of like constantly be scanning things. So I do all the QA currently. Me too. Um, yeah, I'm working on handing that off to uh, my former intern, actually. Um, but 
I'm also working on a backend that's a little more sophisticated to build out so that you can do all that QA without downloading anything. Yeah. Um, like that's the big one. And I think we're close. Um, so it should be a much better experience for our QA people. It should be a much better experience for me. Um, and it should be a much better experience for our, our customers as well. That's cool. That's yeah. cool to know that you actually like look at the images as well. Like yeah. as a oh, customer, yeah. I'm like very flattered cool, yeah. that like that's the value of it. Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's got my name on it. So, <laughs> you know, I, it, I want to keep that name synonymous with quality. Right. Um, and not that asshole that didn't, you know, cut my thing out right or whatever, you know? So like, um, it's, it's really important to me. I really believe in the mission, but, and I'm not really living up to that mission if, if they're not getting a good product, if they can't rely on it. Because the whole thing there is like, I don't want them to have to think about it. You know, I want them to know that it's correct once they get the image. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, I mean, this might be tilting my hand a little too much, but eventually we may offer a service where we actually manage their images for them, including deployment. So like that image has to be right because it's going to get pushed out automatically oh, anyway wow. to their web services and their Instagram and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's a cool new technology we're trying to integrate. So if you get the and, 200 amp service put into your apartment for that, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> huge servers stacks, yeah. just like going through the roof. I'll just be like sweating because all the heat from the servers will be, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is <laughs> no. this drug lab? No, it's just servers. Actually, um, um, that's cool. That's really not, cool. Not to be like a, you know, a, you know, a big nod to our computer overlords, but um, we do a lot of that stuff on AWS, so I don't have to live with the servers. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> but it's setting it up and doing it right. Yeah. Other people, it doesn't have any value to put in that time. But yeah. if you learn it once and you know it, then it's like, okay, I can. Yeah, That's and anyone, you know, honestly, anyone could take the time, research the vendors and try it out and, you know, be disappointed a bunch of times or have problems with communication, but who's got time for that? No one's got time for that. <laughs> I had time for it because I had to figure it out for me and then now people can benefit. So, yeah, but yeah, so that's, that's clever awesome. editing in a nutshell. That's, you know. Yeah, so that's like what you have, that's currently up and running right now, but you have, yeah. Also, kind of a future endeavor that's kind of becoming near future and kind of starting to take off soon um, with your technology yeah. collaboration. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I've been I've been working with a technology partner out in Los Angeles. They're called Lex Machina, and they um, that's uh, a really fun project. They invited me out there to take a look at something they've been working on. They they just filmed The Mandalorian, um, which is like that new Star so Wars cool. series for Din Disney Plus, or they helped yeah. film it, uh, I should big. say. Shouldn't misrepresent. But um, the technology they work with is this, the, like, the, the, I have to say this correctly. <laughs> you just say it's very important that you say this correctly. Um, it's, <laughs> there are no mistakes. Simulated location smart stage solutions are, is the actual industry term. Um, looking for a way to brand that so if anyone has an idea let me know but, it's shorter it's a shorter yeah. word it's like SMS. <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's the key <laughs> yeah let's just call it awesome um there we go but so what it is is uh they they have a a room or a volume that can be almost any shape um that 
is made of LED walls, and then they project a video game level on there based on the Unreal Engine, which is a video game platform that allows you to do photorealistic, real-time rendering of their levels. Um, and that's tied to a camera, a physical camera with a camera tracking system. And that physical camera is actually tied to a digital camera in the virtual world. So in real time, it re-renders what the camera sees on those. Say screens. that last part again. The physical yeah. camera is tethered to it. A digital camera in the a real world. one. A physical no. one? No, it's it's like a software camera. Okay. Sorry. It's, a, it's, ca yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's hard it's a to camera explain. Post because there could be cameras. Yeah. You use real cameras yeah. as well as yeah. imaginary ones. Right. So you have this. Yeah, I've, he goes there and shoots with a real camera in yeah. the room. That's I'm one part of it. And then yeah, there's right. the other part. Yeah, so I'll start over because that was confusing what you said. But it, you have, so you have this room, right, this LED volume. Um, it has a video game level that's being displayed on the actual panels itself. So it's four panels. It's, it's two sides, a back and a top. And then you have a camera, a physical camera, pointed at this scene, right? Um, and that physical camera has a camera tracking system that is coordinating with a virtual camera within the 3D world. So and the walls are moving to create parallax in conjunction with how the right. camera is moving in physical space. Correct. The virtual space responds yeah. to so, camera motion in physical space. Right. So as you move, it re-renders everything in perspective in real time. So up, down, left, right, X, Y, Z axis. So like it, really gives, it gives the illusion of actually being in the whatever environment is in the in the volume. And um, all they've had before this is like green screen, basically. Yeah, so this is kind of a leap beyond that. Um, right. It actually is based on like a really old technology where um, you've seen old movies where the guy's like driving the car like crazy mm -hmm. and like there's a projector behind him um, and the projector is just running some footage that they filmed before. Um, yeah. You know, like it's it has its roots in that, but it's just a really sophisticated version of that that you can add certain things in, like um, there's virtual lighting tools, so you can place the light anywhere in the volume that lights your subject and not the scene. You know, there's um, a lot of randomization and like um, you can do like you can simulate wind depending on how things are built. Um, but they use it primarily for video for for movies, um, mm -hmm. and I want to take that into, into advertising. Um, because I think there's a lot of advantages with it as far as it's beautiful one like it's the light from it is really cool Like it's just it's weird a lot of the actors and um, the Mandalorian were interviewed. And they're like, yeah, we forgot we weren't on wow. actual location um, so like It's really pretty so that never hurts anything in the arts, right? Um, but you can change scenes throughout the day you can you can go many places without actually leaving with like minimal actual physical prop cues and yeah. changes and the scene um, is still actually so, there while you're filming right like like visually you can see yeah it. so the yeah. actors can react to it right yeah so you it is the other industry term for it is like in camera vfx um and so visual effects in camera so like mm. it's a it, it it is what you capture in camera is basically you're almost done you just color grade it when you are done with it and maybe do some color correction where the actual scene meets the, the yeah. LED panels. But right. literally um, doing in pre-production what you normally do in post-production. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and you can use a lot of these production tools like those virtual cameras to preview all those screen, those, your shots, 
So mm -hmm. you can move throughout that virtual world and like simulate. Yeah, can you even comp in a person? Yeah. Comp yeah. in your actor virtually, and then yeah. you have perfect shooting boards. Yeah, and it's then all. People just have to block it in real life. We're kind of like bouncing around a little bit, but yeah, it's all like WYSIWYG pre-visualization. So what you see That's is what cool. you get. Like there's no, and then you can you can either build worlds or acquire them um, on these market online marketplaces, and then you can customize them from there. So everything's built of these. It's it's all 3D, so it's it's everything's built from these um, skeletons or meshes is the actual word, and then materials which are like all the surfaces. So you can buy materials or you can swap out materials. Or you can just if you don't like that cherry, you can swap it out. It's like interiors. Or yeah, they're just assets and yeah, yeah. So it's it's really cool. Um, and say you want to like like my favorite example because I've shot coffee stuff before is like. If you want to shoot for Instagram, say Instagram's king right now, whatever. Um, if you want to shoot in like nine different kitchens and have nine different scenes, all you have to do is swap out your table and your and reskin your scene in between each shot. You know, it might take a couple of days, whereas that would usually take one day for each location. Yeah. In traditional shooting, so it's it's not an expensive technology, but um, it eliminates a lot of variables. So like you don't have to. You can have, so you can have like time of day any day. And it's yeah. actually what you're seeing is lit. So if the sky is a rosy color, the actor's going to have that reflected onto them. We're lighting right. that for a compositing effort would be completely really hard. stupid. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of possibilities there. And I think we're just scratching the surface and what, how we can use it for, for us, for, for what I, what I like to do. Um, and it's, it's just cool, man. I mean, if you can, if you can have shoot it on like, endless sunset endless sunrise or do even like a quick time lapse while your your actor is kind of walking a little bit like just as like a built-in and that's like a basic tool they have built into these levels so it's like it's just phenomenal to not really have to have any risk for that part you know like if you go outside and this is gonna sound super nerdy and like no, i'm waiting for you to say something about the holodeck because no, no, there's no holodeck. <laughs> it seems like the holodeck kind of. Yeah, it, it, in a way it kind of is, it's probably pretty close, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to wait for good weather. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and you don't have to do things like replace reflections because they're already there. They're always on the screen. So yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's a, they're a great company. There's two great guys and they have a huge team. And uh, I'm excited to see how we can repurpose that for, for some of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, so you're a super amazing photographer. Just thank you. solo, standalone. Yeah. You're doing a retouching business. You're doing the VR sets, basically, for lack of a more sophisticated term that I can remember. Yeah, that'll um, work. And then a podcast. A podcast, yeah. Yeah. Right? So, I, you know, my question to you is kind of like, I mean, I can see the through line that goes through things horizontally. But as I look towards the distant horizon, I see more of a river lake, uh, like a delta. But is there like, is I don't there know something? What that means. <laughs> it's not singular. It's not singular. So, I mean, from your perspective, do you see like, what's the like what's the element of like the how each one of these things is you or like kind of what connects them 
Oh, that's that's actually a really good question. I wasn't really sure where you're going with that, and I got very nervous. I'm like looking for. I'm waiting for your like. like this is typical of people who speak with me, especially on yeah. Zoom. They're very nervous where I'm going. It always turns out kind of all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't I don't always know how these things are related, but I know. Um, well, they are. Um, I'm always. Uh, this is going to sound very entrepreneurially, but like, I'm always looking to add value. Right. I'm always looking for how I can provide more value to my clients and just people that I'm interested in talking to. So like the um, creative and creative direction as a podcast is basically what I like to do in general. I like to talk to creative people, see what they're doing. Figure it out. That's what I do with my clients too. A lot of my clients make stuff, you know, they're really interesting people because you have to dedicate your life to this thing. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes millions of dollars, you know, um, and like, and I get to come in and celebrate that. So that's just another celebration of that as well. Um, and then photography has just been a vehicle to kind of do that too, I think, for the most part. Um, I think there's a current of creative people who are successful and you ask them why, and it's like, it's because it's what I like. Yeah. Um, you talk to Sun and Zimmer, or I didn't talk to them, someone else, and I was sitting in the room with a, a talk or whatever, and they're like, oh, it's fun. Yeah. We're just having fun. I was like, whoa, this is revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, um, my, um, even the VR thing like that, I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. They'd, they'd probably kill me if I said it. Like that. But even <laughs> that, it's like, it's cool. You know, it's just cool. It's a cool way that I could probably use to tell stories. You know, I, I mean, it, and it's a, probably a, a way that I can add more value there. Um, but it's also just cool. And those, that whole company is cool. Like they're, innovating in ways that you know these tools separate have been around right but that alchemy of bringing them all together is cool you know they mm -hmm. found a way to kind of add some value and make something out of nothing i guess but um you're kind of an alchemist like that yourself though you yeah bring things together that's kind of things and people and yeah yeah it's 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 a little bit building, wanting to build a better mousetrap, but also like celebrating the cheese. I don't know, the, the journey is like fun, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that kind of uh, goes to what we always ask our guests when we're kind of winding down is when do you, do you feel like you've had a I've made it moment yet? Or when do you think that you will have that kind of moment? Um, this is gonna sound cheesy. Well, one, the flamethrower guy, that was, that conversation was like a peak. <laughs> like this, this is my so job. So many peaks. Whatever. Um, but uh, I, I've been trying to just celebrate. It's this pandemic's been hard, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's been hard for everyone, and I've been trying to kind of have. Like you can always have more money, right? But I've been trying to have a little bit of a shorter view these days, where like um, I try to check in myself and be like, "Hey, are you okay right now?" <laughs> you know and I think making it is just realizing the moment that you're fine you mm. have enough you're actually probably more than fine things are probably great you know I have a cute puppy that I paid for <laughs> with my stimulus package you know like I live in a nice hot place uh, I'm still working relatively you know um, yeah like and I'm I'm doing something I've never done before like this podcast I get to like so, like hang out with you Elijah and like do that like um so does that kind of go yeah. into your into your idea of the staircase? Yeah. So like you can be happy. So I talk about I talk about this to you a lot. I talk about with other entrepreneurs a lot. Um, where like 
you can be happy where you're at, right? Whatever level you're at on the, your, your career is maybe a staircase where um, some stairs are bigger or longer than others, you know, um, but progress is kind of happiness. So like you always want to maybe keep progressing, whether that's more money, cooler jobs, whatever. But it doesn't mean that if you're trying to reach for that next stair, you can't be happy on the present one. Yeah. I think, I think that's, a skill <laughs> and like a muscle just like anything else is to be like yes i want this thing that i'm like reaching for mm. but the process is fun to kind of get there and if yeah. you and you're also like yeah i want this like cool thing i want bigger budgets i want to do better stories um but i'm also doing really cool stories right now you know i'm also doing this great thing right now like that that presence is important you realize also something fundamental about human nature which is that it's like desire you're not going to fulfill it ever and have it go away yeah right it's like fun like have fun with your desire yeah exactly there's never there's never really a made it moment and some people despair in that you know but like it's it's kind of like what It'd we're be talking boring about. once you got there though don't you think you <laughs> yeah like oh i'm just ready to chill on my private I'm, island, I'm you know, like, yeah, everything's great, you know, but those, those people get bored too. So it, it's like, yeah, I think it would be boring. I mean, I, I'm happy to be, I'm happiest when I'm like activated. I'm yeah. happiest when I have a problem to solve, even if it's a problem that I've made for myself, which Elijah, I'm sure you've, you've witnessed and seen a lot of that. Um, like it's, it's cool. Like it's, it's good to be challenged. It's good to move forward, but you also just have to celebrate that. Like, this is where you're at. It's cool. You know, yeah. like, it is cool yeah i'm hanging out with Very you guys cool. just, just talking about nerd stuff you know i don't know <laughs> like that's a good way to spend a thursday night you know i it's it's nice it's a good way to connect yeah so, it's nice i agree with that nice. yeah so but that and flamethrowers really <laughs> <laughs> great that'll be in the uh, show notes <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah. well thanks Ross for being the subject of our inquisitive minds tonight and I'm, uh, I'm sweating over here man you guys are really <laughs> asking the hard Elijah questions was bringing the hard questions I, I'm just I know, like trying does. to keep things off script you know, as much as possible but. he does he's, he's you know he's a bad cop to my good cop here he's like really <laughs> yeah you should have seen him when his dad was on oh my god I was like Elijah holy cow <laughs> that's great but cool. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys turning the tables on me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I learned a lot. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. This podcast is sponsored by Clever Editing. The difference between good content and great content is a little clever editing. Get a quote today at cleverediting.com.